we're back with another episode. So we're kind of keeping the momentum of our prior episode. We got a chance to sit down with another gubernatorial candidate, Mr. Ricky Dale Harrington Jr. Um, as we've stated in the last episode, this is not a rural community alliance endorsing Mr. Harrington. It's just um, us providing a platform for him to share what he would hope to accomplish if elected and just his overall ideals and his campaign. So um, I hope you all take a listen um, to hear uh, about Mr. Harrington and what he would hope to accomplish if elected. Um, thank you all for joining us today. Welcome to the Representing Rural Podcast by Rural Community Alliance. I am Candace Williams, and we are back for another episode of our series covering individuals who are running for office. Um, our last episode, we were able to talk with a gubernatorial candidate, and we're fortunate enough to have another one on today. Today, we're joined by Mr. Ricky Dale Harrington, Jr. How are you, Mr. Harrington? Doing well today. How about yourself, Ms. Williams? Just fine. So could you open with just telling everyone uh, who you are, um, just giving them a little history, your, your party that you're affiliated with, um, and then we'll get into the question of what inspired you to run. Okay. Well, again, my name is Ricky Dale Harrington, Jr. I'm running for governor of Arkansas this year hoping to represent the people. A little bit about my background. I've been in ministry since I was about 19. Joined a program back in 2006 called Adventures and Missions. It essentially trains college-age young people to become missionary apprentices. I was sent to Scotland for about a year, traveled around Europe doing volunteer work. And afterwards, I got a full tuition scholarship to come to Harding University in Searcy. And um, while I was there, I met my wife. My wife, she's from uh, China. We got married. And while she was finishing up her master's degree, I got a job uh, working at a psychiatric hospital. And that really opened up my eyes to our healthcare system and some of the problems that are going on with it. Um, after that was over with, I took an associate pastor position in Baltimore. And after that, I went and done mission work in China. I had to teach English in the universities because they do not allow uh, people to go over there on missionary visas. And during that time, 2016 was our presidential election. And I was, you know, looking at what was going on at our country from afar and just developed a distaste for the way that we were doing politics. It's, um, it's just vile and disgusting is the only way I can describe it, the way people just tear one another to pieces for the sake of power. And I was formerly a Democrat and involved at the county level uh, as a Democratic officer, and I had to take a leap of faith and step away from the two-party system and try to get back to the very basic principles of what this country was founded upon. Even though we have not done a good job, we still need to be working toward that. And I don't really fit in the Democratic Party or don't really fit in with the Republican Party. 
And it's extremely hard for independents, uh, you know, to even get on the ballot. And I, I took a look at the Libertarian Party. One of their main principles is the non-aggression principle. It's, it is a pledge for all of us that are a member of that party to abstain from the initiation of force to achieve political, social, or economic goals. And um, just moved in with them, helped out with a couple of other candidates when they ran. And whenever Senator Cotton uh, said that we do not have an over-incarceration problem, but an under-incarceration problem, uh, that's the whole reason I just said I had to run against that guy. Um, because we cannot have a sitting senator saying we need to be locking more people up. We already have a, a for-profit prison system. And that just incentivizes creating more laws to lock people up. So that's where I took my stand. Thank you, Mr. Harrington. So that's what essentially inspired you to run, just seeing how politics were being played out and also um, the concentration on, or the statement rather that we had an under incarceration problem. Um, well, thank you for, for letting us know what exactly inspired you to run. So if elected, what are you hoping to accomplish in the office as governor of the state of Arkansas? Well, definitely number one, we need to fix the structure of power in the state. During my run for Senate, I was very outspoken about the number of people that just walk straight into office. They don't have any opponents either in the primary or if they do have an opponent, it's just that primary opponent and they just go right into that office. They don't have anybody to contend that in the general election. So I, I want to try to focus to get people more involved. And that was on the libertarian side this go around, we had 55 people join us to, to run and we reduced that number from in the 70s to in the 50s of unopposed people running for office. We should not be having that as a constitutional democratic republic at all. Uh, people need to be opposed. But we wanna make it easier for, just, just like myself, an average person just decided to make a stand. So we want to we want to take a look at the structure of power in our government and get rid of corruption. Number one, because we got to have people that have that power. I mean, to take away your liberty, working with some integrity. So that's a part of the criminal justice uh, reform and healthcare. I'd I'd love for us to have more residency slots and definitely more autonomy for nurse practitioners. And the Department of Health had put in, a, a I don't know if it's a referendum, but they were considering amending the rules to allow nurse practitioners more autonomy in the state. Mm -hmm. uh, the nursing board has already put that forward, but I would like to see it happen as governor. Definitely giving people more options and more availability to primary care here in our state, especially for the rural communities. 
we, we have to find a way to get people more into those professional um, careers that we need. I mean, really, if you don't have your health, you don't have anything. And so we, we need more competition in healthcare. There's plenty of people out there that have not sought out treatment because they can't afford it. So we have to make healthcare more affordable. And the hope is that through greater competition, we can achieve those cheaper prices. Because you know, in, in, in our state, if you want to open a facility, you have to go get somebody's permission in order to open a facility. They call those uh, certificate of need laws. And so all those do, they protect some of the big hospitals' economic interests. And those laws, I just cannot stand economic protectionistic policy, especially if it's protecting uh, just one business's uh, territory rather than having more competition that's going to benefit the people. So you're saying in order to open a medical facility, that that facility would have to get permission from the um, an entity in the state to say, yes, it's fine to open one here? Yes. Okay. So that's what you would hope to accomplish um, if you were elected governor. Um, that's one of the things, yes, ma'am. Okay, all right. Um, so what are you committing to do if elected? I'm definitely committed to a transparent campaign. I'm committed to working with the people and committed to making our state motto actually mean something. We have poor voter turnout. And this is something that I encountered on my Senate run. I was talking with people and um, they were just saying, no, I'm not going to vote. It just doesn't matter. How did we get to that point where people believe that it does not matter, even if they vote or not? Mm -hmm. We need to get to the bottom of that and we need to start changing things uh, because at the moment, that's just authoritarianism. So you would like to, well, if, if elected, you're committing to really work on engaging voters. So even after the registration process, making sure that they feel uh, the commitment to actually go to the polls and, and vote. Not, not only that, but uh, committed to achieving the goals that we have for our state. You know, sometimes we start working on things and we hit those uh, you know, bumpy patches in the road, we don't push through. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's an issue of, you know, really being committed. We committed to bringing liberty to Arkansas. We committed to, to these things and it's nonstop until we get to that goal there and getting more people involved in that process and the democratic process, not only in voting, but knowing what the legislature is doing and knowing what the executive branch is doing and knowing where their rights begin and where the government's authority ends. Mm -hmm. And for those who don't know our state's motto, would you be willing to, to share that? The state's motto is the people rule. Mm -hmm. So that's what you wanna really get back to, the people ruling. Yes, ma'am. Okay. Um, so what are some of the, I know if elected, 
there are of course things, uh, obstacles that may arise that you can't um, envision, but given the climate, uh, the political climate and things like that, what are some of the foreseen obstacles that you, um, that would be in the way of you achieving some of those things that you just mentioned? Well, especially whenever you're talking about corruption, you're going to get some resistance from the people that have been engaged in that. And definitely some resistance from the political establishment here in Arkansas. But the real way to change that is whenever you have the people educated and involved, that's whenever we can start make changes like that. And also when you're dealing with human beings, you know, things happen and um, we have to find a way to, to work through those and stay focused on our goals. Mm -hmm. um, that's, that's definitely the big one. And some of the political rhetoric, we're just gonna have to find a way to um, those that wanna get on Fox News and blow dog whistles, we'll just have to just leave them in the corner over there while we're trying to build something together over here. Okay. Well, um, thank you, Mr. Harrington, for uh, giving me your time today. Uh, is there anything else that you would like um, our listeners to, to know about you, your campaign, your platform, um, and then just generally where they could find more information about, about your campaign? All right. I'll uh, kind of list off a few bullet points of some things that I, I, I'd hope to achieve. Um, I'd, all, I'd like to reinstate the Arkansas State Guard. There are 22 states in the union that have state guards that are separate from the National Guard. Um, this time around and in, in this time of year, we have a lot of storms and sometimes they are really bad. And our National Guard, it can be federalized and right now uh, in our you know, geopolitics in our world, there's a war going on between Ukraine and, and Russia. Mm -hmm. And if there's any type of miscalculations that could easily turn into um, a much bigger conflict to where our National Guard might have to get called off. So I'd like to reinstate that State Guard volunteer service. Um, and maybe we can work in some uh, college tuition for community college, two years of community college in exchange for two years of service. Um, I, I talked a little bit about occupational licensing reform. We wanna give people other options of displaying competency for them to enter those professional fields. Um, this would help out uh, rural communities a lot because sometimes people don't have the money to pay for those you know, fees, you know, for the permission slips in essence. I'm, I'm being very uh, flippant whenever I'm speaking about this, but uh, hopefully <laughs> my disdain is coming through. Um, they, they'll have the money to set up their business, but they may not have the money to pay for those, those license or pay for those uh, roadblocks that are in the way. And we, we have to take a whole nother look at the way we do business. And there's emerging economies coming on. We're on the verge of a fourth wave industrial revolution technologically 
And we have to kind of turn our focus toward that new emerging economy. Um, with healthcare, uh, I've, I talk a lot about blockchain technology. And I do agree that um, healthcare should be available for all. We might have to take a look at something involving that new emerging blockchain technology and a decentralized autonomous organization and combining it uh, for something that is led by the people. Um, there, I could talk about that for a long time, uh, but, um, and education as well. Um, education is really about self-discovery. Mm -hmm. And again, our technology is changing so much, we might even consider, uh, you know, different forms of delivery of education. Um, you can go, you can learn so much. Now there's so much information. Just think about, you know, 100 years ago, 150 years ago, what the literacy percentage was. Mm. I mean, it's common knowledge for people to be able to use certain technology that folks would have considered to be magic a couple of hundred years ago. Um, but we, we just need to continue to move forward. Um, and also in our high school education, we need to start setting our children up for success. Uh, it's more than just, you know, cramming algebra and, and those things in their head. We need to start teaching them life skills and how to be successful and maybe incorporating, you know, certificates on the high school level for welding, for plumbing, for things like that, those type of jobs. So our children will, will have a little bit more of a guided rail rather than, you know, kind of just going to college because I'm one of those types that went to college and then there were no jobs. <laughs> that was the promise that they told us. Go to school, go to college, get you a high and paying job. And well, it's not there. So that kind of ties into that occupational licensing thing. You know, let people be able to find new ways to support themselves and their families without standing in their way. Mm. Yes, they need to be competent. Yes, they need to demonstrate that they're not going to be a harm to the people. But let that be some of the bare, the bare minimum there. We need standards, but the standards don't need to be so high that where they're roadblocks. Mm -hmm. Now for uh, information, uh, my website is rickyharrington.com. You can also find me on Facebook. The handle is RDH number four Liberty. And also Twitter handle is Rick D Harrington. Thank you. Um, please don't get mad at me, but I have a few questions. Okay. <laughs> uh, and when you were talking, I realized I did not hit some of the points where, um, as a nonprofit organization that works with rural communities throughout the state, that um, our members will probably have questions about this, especially around the education realm. So um, I, I was fortunate enough to attend the APA Day of the Debates uh, on Thursday, last Thursday. Um, so education came up quite a bit, K through 12. So um, just your general um, stance or belief in public education as it stands and um, well, the current state of public K through 12 public education in our state. And also if elected governor what would be some of your um, your goals around either improving or stabilizing 
our K through 12 public education system. Well, I hope that um, we can come up with ways that identifies the way that people learn. Our system is kind of a, a one size fit all system, um, but not everybody learns like that. There are different ways that people learn and we want to, and I understand that there are individual, uh, you know, education um, plans, especially for children that uh, are disabled. But we need to come up with a new way of disseminating the information to our children in a way that they can grasp it in a way that they learn on the the early grades and things like that I, as i said earlier when you're moving toward high school and moving toward middle school um, those kids are getting toward the you know being adult and we want to try to help them understand some things about life and even ethics classes in our schools, more civic classes, preparing them for life. How do, how do I fill out taxes? You know, those type of things. <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. Um, also, last week, I uh, watched at the Arkansas Women's Commission. You know, the governor just reinstated the Women's Commission in the state, mm -hmm. and they have a um, a focus on STEM education and, and as it relates to women and girls in our state. Um, and that was my first time hearing the term "place bound." Uh, if you hadn't had time, you may want to go back and, and look at that. It was it was a really good meeting. Um, and in the next several months, they'll come to the governor with this report on their findings from um, these the past months of of working together and collaborating. Uh, around STEM and women and girls. So um, place bound. So the Delta, for for example, um, you have people here, you have families uh, um, uh, that live here, um, but may not have the best access to uh, those jobs and that, that would pay them a good wage. And, you know, the basics, clean water, good, um, good roads, good affordable internet so how do we work with areas like that that are that are place bound um how do we move them forward um so that and infrastructure so i know there's a lot of you know concentration on broadband down our state as the report was just released last week so um i think they said 550 million would help cover the rest of the people in the state. So if elected governor, um, what are your plans for infrastructure in our state, uh, the water, the roads, bridges, broadband, and those populations that are place bound? Mm. Now, let me address the first, uh, the first question that you had, the people that are play, uh, place bound. We have to type, we have to take a look at microeconomies, if you if you understand my drift. Mm -hmm. Our our supply chain is it's too rigid, it's far too long. And if if one thing goes off, especially if we take a look at COVID and how it's affecting us right now, 
um, we need to find a way to, to secure that supply chain. And the rural communities, we want to try to focus on some businesses that can be set up there. And it's usually something that the people are going to do. Because really, we want the government to get out of the way for the people to, to do the things themselves. If you understand my drift, the government is just there for leadership. Mm -hmm. um, we have to provide opportunities, whether it be workshops, whether it be uh, you know organizations like yourself that are focused on rural communities, helping them to, I don't want to say bootstrap, because none of us ever really bootstrap. There's always been somebody there to help us, no matter who you are. Mm -hmm. Somebody helped you get to where you are. Right. And in turn, we should turn around and help somebody else come out of a situation that we were in. <clears throat> Excuse me. Our infrastructure, the things that we need, especially internet. I've been inspired by some of the things that people are doing in New York, uh, particularly with mesh networks. Uh, to secure that that internet, so yeah. to speak, um, the rural communities um, through the leadership in the local community coming together, working to build those mesh networks where people can have access to internet. Um, there's a I'm, I'm talking about blockchain technology, and this is not an endorsement of that organization. Okay. But the idea, the idea is something that we should ponder. Um, there's one crypto coin called SIA and their goal is trying to build a decentralized internet. Um, so if the government ain't gonna do it, let's start working together and do it ourselves, particularly mm -hmm. with the internet. Uh, Cause I, I, I'm a little skittish on giving more control to the government, especially when it comes to the internet. And there's, there's not enough protections when it, comes to privacy online. Uh, somebody can ghost hack your phone, find out everything there is to know about you. There's not enough protections for the people with that. Um, roads, infrastructure, and things like that. Yes, I know what the caricature is of a libertarian, but if elected, I still need to work for the people. So if there's something that's broken, we're going to try to find a way to fix it. And if it's gonna to cost too much, we're gonna to try to find a way to still have uh, a good structure, but do it responsibly with the money that we have. Mm -hmm. um, this will be my last question, I think. <laughs> but um, um, there has really been a focus on making those federal funds like US, that USDA has and other federal entities more um, accessible to rural places. Yeah. So what, what would be your advice to rural communities in this current, um, um, where we are currently with so much uh, concentration seemingly on rural prosperity and really moving some of our rural communities forward? What would be your advice to rural communities during this time? My advice would be, uh, and I know rural communities, you already know everybody. I grew up in a small town myself. <laughs> but you, you have to start working together and identifying what the problem is. Whenever you identify the problem, it's much easier to start building a roadmap to get to where you're going. Yeah. And most of the time, whenever we do get together, we spend that time arguing over 
over some stuff that's not even what the real issue is. And so if we can, we can approach one another, we identify what the problem is, we draw up a solution and we get busy and start doing the work together. Mm -hmm. um, that's how you can move some of the rural communities forward. My advice is, you know, find out who your neighbor is, treat them with love, identify the problem, come up with the solution, get to work. Thank you. Um, so I know, and this will be my last one, um, a focus of ours was always, and you mentioned this earlier, how it's not one size fits all. Um, and how we always wanted from the state, my organization, like a rural economic development plan, a true like plan that helped us collectively move forward. Um, we've always, not always, but probably for most of this organization's existence, operated in regions, within regions. So um, I see there's a big focus now on regionalism. Like that's one of those coin terms that, you know, a lot of people are using now and they're actually trying to build um, initiatives, projects around. Um, so what um, would you do to further that regionalism kind of um, ideal or, or aspect and how will we ensure that, you know, um, like the Delta region uh, mm. or the Mid-South region, like how will we ensure that each community was able to prosper in this moving forward? Um, you know, I drive through some of the, the rural towns and they don't have grocery stores, but they got Dollar Generals. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. Plenty yeah. of these food deserts, uh, but you know we could still see that reach of that big corporate America reach in rural America. Mm -hmm. um, in in this regionalism, I guess we could start taking a look at that supply chain again, mm -hmm. and the economies based on region, and trying to build build those things up in in in, in that manner. Yes, there's job opportunities in big cities, but there's also opportunities in the rural areas. And you still can engage, you know, in the world that we live in, you can still engage in that commerce, um, just maybe in your region, especially along the Delta. Um, I was thinking about, uh, you know, I, I ran for a federal office yes. and they had a prime act and it really had to deal with the, you know, the restrictions, the USDA, puts on meat packing places. Um, we could put up a lot of meat packing places in, in these rural communities and provide jobs. Um, but we, again, it's that startup cost and the, the red tape when it comes to that legislation. Mm -hmm. So in Arkansas, uh, hopefully I can work with the legislature to come up with uh, an Arkansas form of the, the Prime Act, um, given, because there's a lot of people that have micro farms and it's hard for them to kind of move, you know, the, the animals that they raised to their customers because mm. there's only a certain number of locations that they can get the meat processed. Mm -hmm. So it's, again, it's just things, just some of the things that we just don't realize that are in the way, I'm just kind of removing some of those things because it, it I firmly believe that if we do remove those things, There'll be an uptick in new businesses that are open. 
there'll be an uptick in the economy growth because people create jobs, the government doesn't. Thank you so much again for giving me your time. It has been a pleasure um, just listening to you and if elected what you would hope to accomplish. Um, again, I just want, since we're at the end of it now and if <laughs> it was kind of caught up in my um, extended questions, I would just like for you to tell people again where they can find more information uh, about you and your campaign and your platform. Website is rickyharrington.com. You can also find me on Facebook, RDH number four, Liberty. And on Twitter, Rick D. Harrington. Thank you so much again. And um, you take care, Mr. Harrington. You be safe as well, Ms. Williams, and have a blessed day. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you all for joining us for another episode. Hope you got to learn a little bit more about Mr. Harrington and his campaign. Um, as you all know, Monday was the last day um, for you to register to vote if you weren't already registered in order to participate in May's primary. Um, so if you did not submit your registration form by, by Monday, um, you will not be able to participate in the primary um, if you weren't already registered. But fret not, of course, we have November election. You'll have uh, an opportunity then um, to, to participate. During the meantime, you can learn more about uh, each candidate, but um, that leads me into my two power moves for today. The first one is, if you rule power move, shout out to Dave Beckwith. Um, my first rule power move for this episode is to, if you are already registered, make sure you get on VoterView, on the VoterView website, and check your registration. So you make sure that everything's up to date, you're fully aware of where your polling site is located, in all of that. Number two, our rural places need poll workers. So make sure that, um, or if you're interested, um, go to your county clerk's office, go to your election commission office, um, officers in your county, um, and ask them, you know, if they need poll workers. As we know, a lot of our poll workers um, are aging and, um, they need younger people in those positions in order to make sure that um, our polls um, are manned and we have people there. So those are my two rule power moves for this week's episode. Get on VoterView, check their registration, your voter registration, and also volunteer to be a poll worker for the May primary. And it's not totally volunteer. Of course, you will you will be um, compensated to a degree for your time. Um, but more than anything, you're, you're serving your community. You're serving uh, the people. So check in with your county clerk, with your election commission um, to see if they need anyone at the polling sites. Um, let them know you're interested. So if they don't have any openings this time around, maybe in November they'll have an opening for you. But especially my younger people, that's something that we need to try to do. You know, our our elders have done it long enough. It's time for us to step into those positions and really be more involved. Um, so thank you again for joining me today and, and listening to Mr. Harrington again. 
and um, you all take care.